Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And uh, today we're going to continue studying something that is very close to God's heart, the Great Commission. Getting involved in God's master plan of winning the lost and establishing new believers in the faith. And that's a guaranteed way to see God at work in your life and to do great things through you. But we have to step out in faith, believe God's word, and then he will work with us. Well, the Great Commission consists of the final words of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has risen from the dead, but before he ascended into heaven, he, in all the four gospels it records these last words, which are always focused on this great commission. And it's in all the four gospels. So let's quickly recap those four gospels. It says, first of all, in John. John 20, 21, it says, As the Father sent me, Jesus said, So I send you. We're sent on the same mission as Jesus, which is to seek and to save the lost. God sent Jesus to seek and save the lost. That's in Luke 19.10. So, as the Father sent me, Jesus said, so I send you to seek and to save the lost. And with the same power that God gave Jesus, Jesus now gives us that same power of the Holy Spirit to make us successful in that. And then in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, we're told in Luke 24:47, repentance and remission of sins must be preached in Jesus' name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are my witnesses, Jesus said, of these things. And this was confirmed in Acts 1:8 as well. And you shall receive power, Jesus said, of when the Holy Spirit come upon you, power to do what? And you shall be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus is saying, I send my power to be my witnesses, to share my gospel, to preach my gospel. He says that twice. You are my witnesses. You must preach repentance and remission of sins. Praise God, and I will clothe you with power from on high. And then we see it, saw it again in Mark's gospel, Mark 16, verse 15. Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You see, this, our standing orders is to share with all. And really, we must assume it's God's will that we witness to everyone, unless the Lord specifically tells us not to. And so, Jesus commissioned, authorized, send us, in that word, go, to share the gospel, the good news of salvation, through Jesus, preaching it, he says, with conviction so that they will believe in him. And then the results of that are described in verse 16. He says, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. Notice, he assumes that those who believe will be baptized. Following after their believing, they will be baptized. That means be immersed in water as an act of obedience to show that they truly have believed and received Jesus as their Lord. That's their first act of obedience that proves their uh, commitment to Christ. And so these verses, he says, on the one hand, one group will believe and be baptized. They will be saved. The other group will not believe. They will be condemned. How serious is our mission? Their eternal destiny is at stake. There is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. Well, fourthly, the Great Commission in Matthew Matthew 28, 18 says, Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. 
Go therefore, he said, in my authority, I'm commissioning you, and make disciples of all nations. You see, again, he's authorized us to go to everyone and make them disciples. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we've got to preach the gospel and get them saved. Then we are to disciple them. How do we do that? We, that means to teach them to be followers of Jesus. How do we do that? By teaching them to know God's word. Starting by them being baptized in water. That's the first command of Jesus by full immersion. Well, let's read that again. Go therefore, he said, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, as we're faithful to the Great Commission and we go, we preach the gospel and teach his... See, we preach the gospel to the world and then we teach the new believers in the words of Christ. And then he promises to go with us and anoint us and empower us. That's when he said, Lo, I'm with you always. I'll work with you, even to the end of the age. And we've seen that in all the Gospels, whenever he gives the Great Commission, he also promised to give us the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill it. Because it's a supernatural commission. We need that, that supernatural power. And so if we have received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we can go and speak in his name. We can be confident that the Holy Spirit will back us up and supernaturally confirm what we're saying to their hearts. We do not go alone. He goes with us and he gives us success. And the full success will only be seen in eternity. Well, Christ's first command was follow me, he said, and I will make you fishers of men. That's his first command. His final command is the Great Commission. It's just the same really. Go in my power and preach the gospel to every creature. Be fishers of men, in other words. And so every Christian is commanded to be a witness in both our lips and our life. Some say, you see, I don't need to say anything with my lips. I'll let my life do the speaking for me. I'll witness by the life that I live, the good life and, and the good works that I do. Others, on the other hand, speak very freely, but their life contradicts their words. Both kinds are wrong. Their witness is inadequate. It's essential, of course, that we witness both with the quality of our life and by our lips. Both are needed. You know, asking what's more important to our witness, our life or our lips, is like asking what's the most important wing on an aeroplane? Is it the left-hand wing or the right-hand wing? Well, the answer is we need both or we're going to crash. Well, we must not just witness, in other words. We must be witnesses. Acts 1.8 Therefore, you shall receive power when my spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. So our life must embody and be a demonstration of the message we bring. If our life shows little evidence of being changed, if it doesn't show that it's been graced by God, if it's much like that of an unsaved sinner, then what we say with our lips will lack credibility. Our life must confirm what our lips proclaim. We don't have to be perfect, of course. None of us is perfect. 
but they must see something of the reality of Christ in our life. Something of the presence of a genuine faith, a genuine love, a genuine joy of salvation, a genuine hope of eternal life. They've got to see that somewhere. Otherwise, what we're saying is just going to fall flat. On the other hand, though, a life of good works alone is not enough. Because then we will get the glory, not Christ. They'll see our good works and they'll glorify us, saying, what a great guy he is. But they won't realize that it's only by the grace of God that's working in us that we are who we are. Because we haven't told them, we haven't witnessed to them. If we say nothing about the Lord, they'll look at our good works and they'll just glorify us. But if we're faithful to give a witness to the Lord Jesus and glorify him with our lips, you see, then they will be inspired to love him and to believe in him. And in that way, they will glorify God. And that's exactly what Jesus said. These are his key teaching here on witnessing in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. Light speaks of our witness. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. He says, you individually are light. You are to give a witness. But part of your witness is you're meant to gather together in a church. Because a city, a whole lot of lights united together creates a much bigger light. And so we are individually lights, but corporately we are to be part of a city that cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. This is a command to witness. He says, let your light shine upon the world. Don't hide it from them, you see. And then in Matthew 5.16, and I find people often don't understand this verse properly. His conclusion is this. Let your light, that's your witness, so shine before men that they may see your good works and as a result glorify your Father in heaven. And a lot, a lot of time people assume our good works is the same as our light. In other words, they say, let your good works so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God. Well, that can't be right. Because then he would be t telling us to do our good works unto men, for men to see, for man's approval. But actually we do our good works unto God for God's approval and praise, not man's. He's talking about our witness. That's our light. Our witness, our words, are for man's benefit. That is meant to shine before men. See, in these verses, Jesus takes it for granted that as true believers, we will do good works. You see, the issue for him, though, is not that. The issue for him is that men will see our works in the right light. His desire is that as well as doing good works, we also let our light shine before men, our witness. So that when they then look at our life, our good works, to confirm that what we're saying is, is true, they will see our good works. They'll see the fruit of our faith in our lifestyle. And as a result, they will glorify God. They'll believe what we're saying. And they'll be inspired to follow us in trusting and loving Christ. Praise God. So let me read that again. He says, let your light, your witness, so shine before men that they look at your life, your good works, and they don't just think you're great, but they think God's great. They will glorify your Father in heaven. How? By getting saved, ultimately. Praise God. And so this is a great challenge, isn't it? 
Because the moment we start to speak, we put ourselves on the line. Do you realize that? If you want to be a preacher, the moment you start preaching, you put yourself on the line. When you witness at work, you put yourself on the line. You open yourself up to inspection. Because the moment they know you're a Christian, they're going to start watching you to see if your faith is real. If it really affects the way that you live. Jesus said that we must live in such a way that when we let our light shine, they will see in our lives the reality of Christ and glorify God by believing in him. Praise God. And receiving the salvation that we've been talking about to them. Jesus said it needs to be our life and our lips. We must let our light shine, but they've also got to be, see our good works at the same time. We mustn't withdraw our witness from them. We must be the light of the world. We must let our light shine to all. That's the teaching of Jesus. Why is this so necessary? Well, because according to the word of God, men and women are saved through the preaching of the gospel. God doesn't do it just by himself. He does it through the preaching of the gospel. And until they hear the gospel, they cannot believe and be saved. Romans 1.16 says that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, he says. So in other words, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. If you deny people the gospel, you deny them the power of God for their salvation. So Paul says, I, am, I, I must speak about the gospel. To be ashamed of something is not to talk about it. It doesn't mean you reject it, but it's, it's something in your life, but you are ashamed you don't talk about it. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. In other words, I preach the gospel fearlessly. Why? Because it is the power of God unto their salvation. If I withhold it from them, I am withholding the power of God for their salvation. For God's saving power works through the gospel, you see. So God has ordained in this dispensation that God saves men through the words of the gospel spoken by men. Isn't that amazing? Angels aren't ordained to preach the gospel. We are. We see this in Acts 11, verse 13 and 14. Peter is relating how the first Gentiles got saved. Cornelius told us how he had seen an angel, he says, standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which these words you and all your household will be saved. Notice that to be saved, they had to hear words. The words of the gospel. God could appear to him in a dream, but in a vision, but that didn't get him saved. He had to hear the words of the gospel. And he had to hear them from a man. Why didn't the angel that was sent to Peter, to, why didn't the angel get them saved? Couldn't he have shared it? Well, apparently not. He had the angel had to send them to Peter to get saved. Couldn't the angel do it? No, angels have not been sent to preach the gospel at this time. We have. They had to hear the gospel words from a man to be saved. You see, so it's up to us. Well, the early church obeyed the Great Commission with great success. We read that in Mark 16. 
19, it says, So, after the Lord spoke to them, he was received into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And then they went out and preached everywhere. Hallelujah. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Acts 8, 4, they went everywhere preaching the word. But the modern church hasn't done so well. In fact, 95% of Christians have never led anyone to the Lord. Maybe fear of rejection, lack of confidence, not knowing what to say, afraid of getting hard questions. But remember, you're not alone. The Holy Spirit will be working with you, speaking through you as you speak, convincing them that what you're saying is true. You're not called to answer every objection, win every argument, but you're called to faithfully present Christ. You know, this is the promise of God in John 16, 7. Jesus said, it's to your advantage I go away. If I don't go away, the helper, see, the Holy Spirit is going to help you witness. The helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, the Holy Spirit is sent to us. He says the world can't receive the Holy Spirit, but you can because you believe. And then the Holy Spirit comes to us, and then through us, he reaches out to the world by helping us, by anointing us, by working through us as we share the gospel. John, verse 8, he says, And when he has come to you, he will then convict the world through you as you witness the Holy Spirit works with you. He says the same truth in John 15, 26. When the helper comes, the spirit of truth, he says, he will testify of me. And then Jesus said, and you also will bear witness. So the two together, we witness and then the Holy Spirit witnesses through us. He convicts the world that as we share the gospel, what we're saying is right, that their own thinking is wrong, you see, and that the gospel we preach is true. The Holy Spirit will do that in their heart. Whatever's showing on their faces, the Holy Spirit will be speaking to their heart. John 6, 16, 8 says, he will convict the world of three things, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, he says, nine, because they don't believe in me. First of all, he'll convince them that they're wrong about sin. He'll convince them that they're not good enough to go to heaven, that the sin stops them, that unless they believe in Jesus, they are lost sinners going to hell. Sinners in need of salvation. They cannot save themselves. That's the first thing he'll convince them. Then it says he'll convince them of judgment because the ruler of this world, Satan, has been judged. In other words, some people think, well, yes, I've sinned, but God's a nice guy. He'll never judge me. No, God has already judged Satan and he's going to judge everyone that sinned. He'll convince them this, that God is the holy just judge of the universe. He must and he will judge all sin. Just because God is long-suffering and patient and delays his judgment to give us a chance to repent and be saved doesn't mean that God's a soft one, you know. He will, when the time comes, judge all sin severely, justly, now, Jesus on the cross took all our judgment. But if we don't accept what he's done for us, then we will have to take that judgment ourselves and suffer hell. Jesus said the cross proved God's judgment because Jesus took the full judgment of God on the cross. He laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. You know, Jesus is the beloved son of the Father and he prayed that God, if there's any other way, 
he says, let this cup pass from me. Because it's so terrible what I have to do is take this judgment of the world. But there was no other way. And if God didn't spare his own son from his judgment, he will certainly not spare a sinner who is unrepentant. Of course not. He must judge that sin. And so though the Bible says that God is merciful and he doesn't want to punish us, the same Bible tells us that God is just and he must punish sin. And then thirdly, Jesus said he will convince them of righteousness because I go to my Father. This is the positive part of my message because once somebody understands about sin and judgment, they might think, well, there's no way I can be saved. But the Holy Spirit will convince them there is hope. There is a way because there is a man, his name is Jesus, who has paid the price for their sins and has risen from the dead and has gone to the Father. In other words, his sacrifice has been accepted and now there's a representative man before God who is righteous before God. And if you accept him as your representative head and Lord, praise God, then you are in Christ and you are forgiven and justified. There is a salvation for you if you accept Jesus and what he's done for you. And as you share these things, you see, they will be convinced and they will, uh, the Spirit will convince them of that. We appeal to their mind. We give them enough information that they can understand the gospel. We appeal to their emotions. We share the benefits of eternal life. We share our testimony. Praise God. We share the benefits of God to them and we appeal to their will they, we challenge their will and we tell them that they need to respond and put their trust in Jesus Christ they need to pray the sinner's prayer I want to encourage you to witness with a poem that says this my friend I stand in the judgment now and feel you're to blame somehow on earth I walked with you day by day but never did you point the way you knew the Lord in truth and glory but never did you tell the story my knowledge then was very dim. You could have led me safe to him. Though we lived together on the earth, you never told me of the second birth. And now I stand this day condemned because you failed to mention him. You taught me many things, that's true. I called you friend and trusted you. But now I learn it's too late. You could have kept me from this fate. We walk by day, we talk by night, and yet you showed me not the light. You let me live and love and die. You knew I'd never live on high. Yes, I called you friend in life. I trusted you through joy and strife. And yet, coming to this end, I cannot now call you my friend. Alexander the Great was a great fearless, courageous leader. None could stand before him. The one thing he couldn't abide there was cowardice. In court, he was merciless. None could deliver out of his hand. And one day, a 17-year-old handsome youth was brought before him. Alexander the Great looked at him. What is his crime, he asked. The official answered, he was caught running from the enemy and hiding in the cave. He is a coward. And everyone in the court became silent because they knew that Alexander couldn't stand cowards. Alexander the Great's face hardened. But he looked at the boy again and his face softened. And he said, what's your name? And they knew that the boy had won his heart. With a sigh of relief, he said, Alexander, sir. Suddenly, Alexander the Great's face hardened. What? Alexander, sir, he said nervously. 
his face now turning red with anger, Alexander the Great repeated his question in unbelief. Soldier, what is your name? Alexander, sir, came the reply. Grabbing him by the throat, Alexander the Great threw him to the ground and shouted, Soldier, change your conduct or change your name. God asks us, what's your name? Christian, sir, what is your name? Christian, my Lord, what is your name? Christian, my God, dare you, who have maintained a craven silence when commanded to preach the gospel to every creature, dare you, who through all these years have refused to witness, bear witness to the name of him who set his flint, his face lies flint toward Jerusalem, dare you take upon your lips that, that sacred name? Soldier, change your conduct or change your name. 